0: And friends, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to pray for ourselves now as we enter into a time in God's Word and we continue to pray that the Holy Spirit would move through our community, move in each one of our hearts and move beyond the walls of this church and ripple out into the places around here. Uh, And the wider community and the school community as well. So let's pray. Holy Father, only you can truly satisfy our every need. According to your will, please move within each of us with your power today, so that our hearts would receive your word for us and that your spirit would renew us to the very depths of our being. Father, we live and breathe by your decree. So, give us that joy and peace that surpasses all human reason and knowledge on this your day, the Lord's day. For we pray in the name of your Son and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. you seen one of these before? 100% satisfaction guarantee. Seen that? Seen it in advertising? I was sharing earlier that uh, I worked for 14 years in the printing industry and I've seen more advertising catalogues and brochures and guarantees in print that I care to mention, Uh, but what does that mean? 100% satisfaction guarantee. What do you expect if, uh, if you see one of those things? What do you expect from that? Have a think about it. In the retail world... 100% satisfaction guarantee means that the product that you're holding in your hot little hand, whatever it is that you're about to purchase, uh, it it means that for them that it's going to meet all your expectations as a customer. That's basically it, that whatever you're holding is going to meet all your expectations as a customer. So if you go out and you buy a shovel because you want to dig a veggie patch at home, then, uh, you know, it's not great expectations. It doesn't take much for a shovel to give you a 100% uh, satisfaction guarantee, does it? you just got to shove it in the dirt. If it, if, it, if it works, then you're satisfied, right? But I've got, a, I've got a car, this Subaru, and since I bought it, it's got a rattle somewhere in it and it drives me absolutely stir-crazy. And when Subaru ring me up and they ask me how satisfied I am, I tend to tell them, uh, not really, not really, there's this rattle. I actually stopped driving the car, it drove me that nuts that I I gave the car to Janelle and said, I I can't drive this, this just actually is rattling is driving me nuts, not very satisfied. But what's happened is 100% satisfaction guarantee in the retail world, whether you're buying iPods, whatever it is, it's all about you and we tend to like that. I mean, in my own flesh, I like that. I like it when it's all about me because that means it's about pleasing me and that seems to make me quite happy. But there's been a shift over the years, even from when I was a kid and maybe from when you were younger too, that actually in every sphere of our life it seems to be about my satisfaction, what pleases me, what makes me happy. used to be kind of a bigger picture kind of view. I remember my parents, when I was growing up, as a real little kid, they seemed to care more about, it wasn't all about me, it, was, it kind of included the community and other people as well but everything seems to be about me now and so I notice it's not just in advertising but you listen to the government and how the government talk to you. You listen how ministers and politicians when they get up on the TV, listen how they talk, listen to how the opposition talks, news articles, magazines, even sometimes the church and this is really unfortunate Sometimes appeals to your desires to be satisfied makes it all about you in order to appeal to your personal appetites. But what if you're not 100% satisfaction guaranteed? What happens then? Will they up the ante and promise more? Well, no, in the retail world what happens? If you're not happy with something you buy, what do you do? You take it back to the shop and you get your money back which makes me doubly unsatisfied. I hate it when I've got to take something back. I have to go and stand in the service desk uh, counter. I've got to wait. I've got to get my money back. I've got to give the product back. Then I've got to start my research all over again. It's doubly unsatisfying. But just beyond retail, what happens in the world? What happens with the government? There's a satisfaction poll that tells people how happy we are with the Prime Minister and the opposition. And it goes up and down like a yo-yo. Because depending on how smooth they are in appealing to your desires and your appetites, Depends on how high their approval rating goes up or down and so it is. It's like, it's like that old fad, the yo-yo. It goes up and down. The church, if I was to stand here and just appeal to all your appetites to try and make you feel good about yourself, you know, preach a gospel of self-esteem, then I would actually be saying nothing of value to you at all. It would be like you having a feast of sawdust for your soul. It would actually make you sick, not actually help you. It might sound like music to your ears, but it's like a feast of sawdust. But the truth is, friends, there is a thirst in yours and every human heart that yearns to find satisfaction, comfort, rest. It's at work in your heart, it's been at work in your heart right now. But the thing about human beings is that we seek that satisfaction in things that were never meant to provide the kind of comfort that we try and suck and extract out of them. They're never meant to provide that for us. And so, we look for satisfaction in in our careers or in money or in the things we do on a day-to-day basis, the stuff we buy from the shop. We look for satisfaction in that stuff. Sometimes we look for satisfaction in relationships, which means we place all our... our, uh, our eggs in one basket as it was looking back to last week, but we place all our eggs in one basket and we look for satisfaction and to be fully satisfied in the depths of our soul by another human being, by a person and we load them up with this weight that they can never actually live up to. None of these things can actually fully satisfy the depths of your soul and I don't know if you're here and you maybe recognise recognised. As you're hearing that, you recognise that as part of your heart. I do, I do. People crave satisfaction from things that just can't deliver. So, we're going to hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 63 today. I'm going to read verses 1 to 8. This is just the the theme verses up on the screen. Listen to this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those very, very spiritually significant words. Very spiritually significant words. It's actually a prayer of David and uh, he actually prays this prayer while he's in the wilderness and on the run. So, it's not a happy time for him. He actually, but as he starts praying, it sounds like it's going to be a lament or a sad song or a complaint, but it's not. When he actually ends up praying it, it comes out as this full prayer of confidence in God full confidence, full of expectation of God, filled with a longing to be in the house of worship, beholding his Lord and God with thanksgiving. And this all flows out of David's heart even though he's going through a time of immense trouble. Normally we talk about feeling satisfied and stuff like that when we're happy, when things are going well. But he is in a terrible predicament out in the wilderness with people pursuing him. So, he's looking over his shoulder and there are two possibilities when it comes to uh, who David was fleeing from. Now, have a listen to this. One was, one was King Saul. Okay? King Saul heard, uh, you might remember from the Old Testament, uh, King Saul has killed his thousands but David his tens of thousands. The women came out singing and dancing and singing this song and, and Saul hears this and he's so cut because he's the king and he wants that glory and he's saying Saul his thousands and David his ten thousands. I don't like that very much. If I'm the king, you talk about my ten thousands and his thousands because I'm the the king, I'm the ruler. But the other person he was fleeing from was his own son. His own son, Absalom. And Absalom in 2 uh, Samuel, went out to the people. You, if you wanted to see, see the king, you had to go and uh, speak to someone who would organise a hearing for you in the king's presence. And Absalom, he actually went out there and he said to the people, he, he's a master manipulator actually, he went out there and he said to the people, oh, if only you could have someone who would give you a, a, take you into the king's presence so that you could have a hearing. Well, you know, Wouldn't it it be great if I was that guy for you? Wouldn't it be great, I would give you a hearing, I would organise this for you? And so what he does, he manipulates the people to move their affection away from the king and onto him so that he can steal that and steal David's kingship. That's actually what he wants to do. His own son does that. So, Saul and uh, Absalom, they've got that in common. They're both jealous. They both craved 100% satisfaction in power. They both craved 100% satisfaction being exalted in the eyes of other men and women. And what, as David has to flee these people, does he pray for under those circumstances? You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land in the wilderness where there is no water. He doesn't pray, Lord, why are you doing this to me? This isn't fair. What are you doing, God? Take me back to where I was comfortable. Restore to me all the good life and the comforts that I've become accustomed to. He doesn't pray, Lord, give me the latest technology. I'm pretty good with a slingshot. Give me the latest technology and slingshots that are so precise and so powerful that I might just sling it back and take out my enemy and let's get this over and done with really quickly. In fact, David, while he's out there, he's riding along with his men and there's this guy and he comes up and he starts cursing the king, spitting out venomous threats and, and accusations and curses. He throws stones at the king and then he grabs dust and tries to flick that up too. He's pretty angry, this fella, kicking up dust, throwing stones and cursing the king and one of David's men says, hey, this isn't on. In fact, king, why don't I take out my sword, go down and cut this fella's head off and uh, actually deal with this in an appropriate way and David says, no, don't do that. He says, you know what, I'm waiting on God. This is in God's timing. This is according to God's will and if he's cursing, then you let him curse because if I've done the wrong thing, then I deserve it. But if, if not, then God will vindicate me. He doesn't go and he, say, he doesn't also pray, he doesn't say, God, you know what, if I had a ton of money, if we had a ton of money together, we could buy off Absalom, we could buy off King Saul and everything would be alright. And the final thing he doesn't do is he doesn't make this bargaining agreement with God. God, beam me out of here. Beam me out of this horrible situation and I promise I'm going to be a good boy and every night I'm going to read my Hebrew scroll. I'm going to do exactly what you want me to do. Just get me out of this kind of prickly spot now. He doesn't do that. He prays, you God are my God and earnestly I seek you and everything hinges on this confession. Everything hinges on it. As you walked into worship this morning, friends, each one of you, as you walked in here, what needs or burdens did you carry in with you? And they weren't necessarily, they don't have to be your burdens. They might be burdens of your friends or of your family or of your sons or daughters, a relative. We all carry around burdens with us what burdens did you carry with you into God's house this morning as you've come together? And what are, you expecting, what are you expecting God to do today? What, do you, what is your soul, which is code for your whole person? What, what are you thirsting for? What are you hoping for? What are you seeking after from the Lord as you come to inquire of Him today? How might you walk out of here changed and renewed and transformed? This psalm today, it paints a picture, if you will. It paints a picture of a living and breathing and personal experience. We don't talk about that very much but it paints a picture of a real living personal experience of God's rest at work in your life that actually happens through a working of the Holy Spirit in the depths of your soul what you see in King David today, what you're hearing with your ears going on in these words of scripture is available to each and every one of you and it transforms religion. It transforms it and it transcends it. It transcends sitting in the church in a pew. It's picturing for you that God has more for His people than being transported or bussed in or, 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 or running here or, or driving here in a car from the breakfast bench at home to a pew in this building. It's more than that. God has so much more for you than that, more than listening to me or any of the pastors here in Cairns, whether it's Steve or Noel or myself or any other pastor for that matter. He has more for you than that, more than going through certain rituals and then moving from here back home or to school or wherever you're going for lunch. More than a particular kind of service order, more than a particular repertoire of songs. He has more for you than this. Last week, in this past week, I was chatting to a neighbour. They've come back from overseas. They're really lovely, really, really lovely people and we're blessed to have neighbours that are so friendly. What I've noticed is that every time I have a conversation with my neighbour... Somehow he manages to say multiple times, every time we talk, I'm not a religious person. Every time it gets thrown in. We can be talking rugby, we can be talking V8 supercars, doesn't matter what we're talking, I'm not a religious person. It just gets thrown in there every time. And he knows I'm a pastor, so maybe there's something behind that, I'm not sure. Uh, but um, this time it happened, I went inside and I couldn't let it go. Something was at work, God was at work in my heart in a particular way and I couldn't let this go. Normally I'm just like, oh yeah, okay, look, I'm not, I'm not preaching to you, I'm just being a friend. But this time I actually went inside and something had changed and I couldn't help but reflect on what had happened. And I thought to myself, you know what, I'm not a religious person either. I am not a religious person. Not the way that my neighbour may think that I am from outward perception. I'm not a religious person, but if I'm not a religious person, who am I? And I thought, well, I'm in Christ. I'm loved by God as His child. I'm justified, I'm sanctified. I'm a member of God's royal household and and one of His royal priesthood as, as each of you are. But I'm not a religious person, not unless you mean that I get out of bed religiously on a Sunday morning and I get in my car and I travel here to serve you. I do that religiously. I get up every Sunday morning very early, quarter past six and I travel here. I do that religiously. But coming into God's house, being in God's presence is, is, not, is so much more than just coming to a church and parking it in a, in a pew. It's so much more than that and we hear that from David today. I hope you hear it. I have seen you, he says, in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And so, David, beyond travelling to a temple, here is a person, here is a man who has come face to face with the power and glory of God in worship as you are today. He's come face to face with the power and glory of God and the power of God and His glory have reached out and they've, they've done something in Him. There's been some spiritual supernatural thing that's, that's taken place in David's life, what he calls touched with his stead- with God's steadfast love and faithfulness. God is doing something. And so David in the wilderness, it, the fear is just obliterated so that he can rest in God's grace and provision in trials and celebration. And what it means is that through the power of worship, through the presence of God, There is a creative movement of the Holy Spirit that puts a new song in your hearts and a new song on your lips. It is a creative movement of the Holy Spirit that is at work in worship when you come into the presence of a glorious and powerful God. That is happening to you now. The Spirit is at work and it echoes out of David's heart he started out saying, "My soul, my soul thirsts for you. My soul thirsts. I'm thirsty, and I'm thirsting for you." But God, through His Spirit, He transforms it all so that David says, "My soul is satisfied. I am satisfied as with a rich feast." And that feast is a description of the wonderful communion that David shares with God by faith. Communion that provides this this spirit filled rest for his soul that gives meaning to his life even when it hurts and there are hardships that transforms the hours of darkness that he knows because all anxiety has just been replaced by a mind renewed and focused on God's power and his provision and his protection that he lavishes upon his people so much more than coming and parking your butt on a pew. And so David says in verse 8, through these transformed lips, I cling to you. I cling to you and your right hand upholds me. And that clinging that he's talking about, God uses that word in Genesis chapter 224 of a man leaving his father and mother and being united to his wife. He uses it in the book of Deuteronomy to describe the exclusivity of the relationship between Israel and the Lord their God, the closeness that is there, the exclusivity, the uniting of that. And this clinging, this exclusivity, this spiritual renewal is is yours. It's yours in Jesus Christ. It is for you because only Jesus can truly satisfy every longing and appetite in the depths of your soul. You can go out and buy something at the shops. You can buy the latest tech, the latest phone. You can buy a car if you want to. You can buy a house if that's not enough. And if a house isn't enough, think of what else you could buy. You can buy whatever you want and it may be so satisfying at the time. It may give you great joy. You feel really satisfied. But what Jesus is offering transcends that. And so what he does is he meets your thirst and he quenches it with the living water of himself by his spirit. He calls you out of the weariness, out of the slavery, out of the burdens of trying to find comfort away from him and he invites you to come, as Jana read this morning, come to him and find rest and comfort and assurance in Jesus And Martin Luther, he he described this just so wonderfully. What happens in the spiritual realm between Jesus Christ and yourself? He describes it like this. He says, Jesus the bridegroom comes along and he speaks and his voice echoes into your very soul and Jesus says to you, I am yours. And often we've left it there as the Lutheran Church, okay? We've left it there. But Luther says there's a response. Jesus speaks into your soul, he says, I am yours and the response of your soul comes back and says, Lord Jesus, I am yours. And the Holy Spirit creates this union, this marriage, this clinging, this togetherness between your soul, between you as a person and Jesus Christ. And this exclusive and powerful union of faith, it does something because all the appetites of your flesh that rage against the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, all of your appetites that led you down dark alleys of idolatry and death are removed from you and they're placed upon the sinless Lamb of God who was slain and whose blood spilled and gushed forth onto the ground for you at Calvary to rescue you. And in the place of those sinful and distorted appetites, you've received everything to completely satisfy your soul for all eternity, not a quick fix, not a quick fix, an eternal satisfaction for you. So, you have actually what no other person in this world can offer you. That's what's held out to you. No one, no one, I don't care who they are, can offer you this. Nothing. no corporation, no one in the world can offer you this. It is exclusively the gift and the offer of God that comes to you through His Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to list out a few things of what this means for you in terms of satisfying you. You have the Father's favour. You have the status of His beloved child. You live under God's protection each day and receive grace upon grace no matter where you are or what's going on around you. You live in the reality where the echoing sound of God's blessing rings in your ears wherever you go. You have received the fullness of the Holy Spirit as your advocate and your comforter. Your life has divine meaning and has divine purpose. Everywhere you go, you share in constant communion with the Holy Trinity, you have instant and unhindered access to the very throne room of God. You have a loving Lord who is alive, who sympathises with your every need and who continues to speak into your life by His Spirit and work in and through every circumstance that you face. You are full, you are so full. You have Jesus, the risen and reigning Lord who says to you, I am yours. Hear that as if Jesus Christ is speaking that into your very soul today. Jesus Christ says to you, I am yours. I am yours. And by whom through the Holy Spirit you can respond I am yours, Lord Jesus, and my soul is satisfied as with the richest of food. I want for nothing. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me through whatever nasty things are in my past. Whatever nasty things are in my past, he's dealt with it and he's with you through it. And not only that, the Lord goes before us into our future And so he actually knows what's coming to you. He knows what trials you're going to face. He knows what celebrations and joys are ahead of you, and he's there waiting. He's with you now, and he's also before you, so that when you come, he will also be your satisfaction. He will also fill your soul with his rest and peace. All you do is look to him I am yours. Let's pray. Thanks be to you, our most merciful Father in heaven, for the word of your gospel which is able to save the soul. Grant your saving truth to those who have it not, who know it not, who so need it, Lord, who seek satisfaction in so many things but just aren't finding it and they're so weary and tired and our heart burns for them that they would know you. Cause your light to shine on the Commonwealth of Australia and all nations who sit in the darkness of idolatry. Through your word draw us to your Son that we may have life in him and be so satisfied to the depths of our soul because you are ours and we belong to you. We pray and we ask earnestly for the movement of your Holy Spirit amongst us. In Jesus' name, Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds safe in Christ. Amen.